0: All right, guys, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. And as we do that, I want to give you a word um, tonight. We're going to kind of focus on this word. Uh, It's a word that actually appears in the text that we're going to look at this evening. I'll go ahead and tell you the word, it's a word you want to avoid. It's a word as a man that you want to avoid. You want to avoid it in your life, you want to avoid it in your behavior. Uh, you want to avoid it in your character. You want to uh, a- avoid it in your uh, work, in your professional life. Uh, you want to avoid it as a husband. And you want to avoid this word as a... as a, as a father. Uh, the word is the word unstable u-n-s-t-a-b-l-e when men get unstable bad things happened Um, we had a great christmas Um, we really did and uh, we had everybody my my kids were all at the house and uh, we, we just had a wonderful time and um And right after Christmas, as I mentioned before, we then went out to California. My folks live out on the Central Coast, and it's really the best place of California, I think. It's four hours south of San Francisco and four hours north of L.A., and you don't have the traffic. and uh, It's not real congested, and it's just a good getaway place. So we went out there, and uh, I think we got in at 8.30 Monday night just as the first storm rolled in off the Pacific. And my folks live about a mile from the ocean and it started raining and as you've been noticing on TV uh, it's been raining ever since now I grew up in California and uh, in fact there's a song that's familiar from the 60's and the song says it never rains in Southern California and that's a true, it's basically true Uh, but it started raining and as you know it has continued to rain and as a result of that things uh, have become unstable in California. Uh, My uncle, uh, who's 84, my dad's brother had a heart attack on Christmas Day, and uh, he's in Los Angeles, so um, we went down there with uh, my dad. Uh, My mom and dad had been there, came back. Mary and I got in the car a few days later, went down to check on him with my dad. It was just a quick trip, but as we're coming back, now there'd been rain for six, seven days and it was starting to get saturated. Uh, Great pools of standing water just about everywhere you look. There is a river uh, that's not a famous river, but it's a river called the Los Angeles River. And basically the Los Angeles River all my life, and some of you are chuckling because you're from California, is just one big strip of concrete. It's about the size uh, of a freeway. Uh, And it's always bone dry. Uh, I mean, at the most I've ever seen it, it might have an inch, maybe two inches of water, and and the whole it doesn't go across the width. Uh, But it was there for flood control if there was ever a problem, and there is a problem. And as we were pulling out of the hospital and getting back on I-5 and going north, we crossed the bridge. And uh, I'm guessing it was six feet high all the way across and just raging torrentially. Then we kept making our way up out of L.A. and uh, went through Glendale and Burbank, where the uh, Disney Studios are. If you go to The Tonight Show, NBC is right there. And they have some hills right along the freeway. Chavez Ravine, where the Dodgers play, is right up there in those hills. And as the years have gone by, they have built some very, very nice homes on those hills. We're not talking Texas hills. We're not talking the hill country, you know, bumps. We're talking we're talking small mountain kind of hills. And as we're driving through there and looking at these beautiful homes that are up there and seeing the standing water and knowing that things are saturated, we're looking at those homes and wondering, are those things going to hold up in spite of the uh, thousands of dollars that were spent on retaining walls? And we're just looking up and wondering, is that going down? Is that going down? Is that going to stay? And then last night on CNN, one of them... A very white modern about four stories on stilts maybe you saw this one of the stilts gave way and they're just waiting then we got further up north where the big slide occurred and went right by there Uh, everything was fine but again we're looking at those homes Um, you know a lot can happen in a short period of time because quite frankly life is unstable since we have uh, been together We've not only had major storms in California, we've had, we've had a tsunami. Uh, we don't ever think about tsunamis, unless you live in California. There's a town in Northern California called Crescent City. I gotta tell you guys something. Um, all last fall, I, had, I, I, a, I don't necessarily have a file system, I have a pile system. And I'll read stuff, and I'll find illustration story, and I just put it in my pile. And I had, a, I had a story sitting on the pile, I'm gonna say from about the middle of October, and I kept wanting to use it. I kept wanting to use it, and it just, I, I couldn't fit it in. But uh, it's about Crescent City, California. And in Crescent City, California, which is up by the Oregon border right on the coast, um, in 1964, An earthquake happened up in Alaska, similar to what happened in Southeast Asia a couple weeks ago. And as a result, a tsunami hit Crescent City, California. Now in 64, you didn't have the satellite, you didn't have the images on TV immediately like we have now. But it was absolutely devastating. And to this day, when you walk along the beach in uh, Crescent City, California, or even in the hotel rooms, everywhere are posted signs, and the signs say, Do not turn your back to the waves. Why? Because you never know what's coming. Because life is unstable. Out of all the footage that I've seen and you've seen uh, surrounding this tsunami that took the lives of so many people, I saw a clip uh, two nights ago that I have not seen before, haven't seen since. But it, uh, it pretty much captured the whole thing. Uh, it was taken from a very high angle it was a shot of one guy on a beach you could uh... there was nobody else there some of you saw this he's just in the water the waves are just you know he's probably up to his knees not quite his back is to the water as they're taking this shot you can probably see you see the length of the beach and there's nobody else on the beach you can see about twenty yards behind him you can see about twenty yards to the front of him as he faces the hotel and the resort but you can't see any of that all you see is this one guy in a beautiful setting all by himself now the question is who is that guy and what was he thinking about obviously he was a he was a, he was a white guy he wasn't native to the area came down from scandinavia or europe he had some kind of means he had enough money uh... to buy a ticket and go down to a nice resort, uh, what was on his mind? Had he just closed a deal? Had a deal just fallen through? What was he thinking about? What kind of Christmas did he have? Was he there by himself? Had he just been through a divorce? Was he up early and his family was in the hotel? I don't know. But as you're looking at this guy, everything is calm, everything is idyllic, everything is beautiful. And he's looking up towards the resort, just kind of thinking as he walks through the water about who knows what, and suddenly, he was gone. Just like that. Because life is unstable. Jesus, uh, we're in Proverbs 5. Uh, We'll get there before long. But you see, Proverbs 5 is going to talk about being unstable. Uh, Life is unstable. Sometimes we choose to put ourselves in situations that are unstable. That's a dumb move. That's a foolish move. Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom versus foolishness. Jesus talked about that. You're in Proverbs 5? Flip over to Matthew chapter 7. Because in Matthew 7, Jesus talked about two men. This is how he closed out the Sermon on the Mountain or the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. And Jesus basically said this in talking about these two men, if you look at verse 24 of Matthew 7, he said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Most important part of any structure is the foundation. This man was a wise man because he built his house on the rock. But in contrast to him, there was a foolish man. In um, in verse 26, Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them We'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great, and great was its fall. Uh, We're all building. We're all building something. We're building building families. We're building lives. We're building careers. Uh, We're all in the building business in some way, shape, or form. Uh, But the question is, what are we building upon? Uh, that, that house that was, uh, on that hillside, uh, in Glendale, uh, whoever built that was fairly successful. Uh, not fairly, they were very, very successful. Uh, they, uh, they had done well. And, uh, that, that wasn't just some home that some builder had slapped together. That was a custom built, that was a home worth millions of dollars and, uh, but but quite frankly somebody had to be semi-foolish to build on that site in spite of all the money and all the site preparation that took place because you see you've got history history tells us that if you live on a steep hill in california you probably don't want to build a house on a steep hill in california but as hegel the philosopher said history teaches us that men never learn from history we think that we're not uh, susceptible to what happened in the past so this guy built His house is coming down. This guy is walking along a beach in Thailand somewhere. Boom, tsunami. It's over. Life, life is unstable. No guarantees. We have no idea how long our journey will be on this earth. That's just the fact of the matter. In Proverbs 5, Solomon begins to address an issue with his son. And quite frankly, it's an issue that Solomon did not have a very good grip on the older he got in life. He begins to talk to his son about sexuality. And in so doing, he's trying to equip his son, and he's trying to prepare his son. And he's telling his son that men can make choices that are foolish choices... And those choices, when they are made, destabilize one's life and one's existence and one's career and one's family. Um, Let's read the text in Proverbs chapter 5. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, that your lips may reserve knowledge. Now, here we go. For the lips of an adulteress, or literally the lips of a strange woman. In other words, the lips of a woman you're not married to is what this is about. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Do you have any desserts over Christmas? Do you have any? Yeah, there's a guy raising his hand. This isn't an altar call. You don't need to come forward but obviously there's great guilt over there somewhere. <laughs> Don't you have it? Aren't you the cheesecake guy, Jeff? That's right. Yeah, you handed me a cheesecake at Thanksgiving. I didn't take it. But I left there and went and got a gallon of Bluebell. <laughs> no, I didn't. But thanks for the offer. But, but sure, you ate dessert. I mean, it's Christmas. That's what we do. Hey, back then they didn't have Bluebell in Solomon's Day. Uh, they didn't have cheesecake. You know what they had? They had... Honey was a delicacy. It's the thing about strange women, it's the thing about uh, women that are immoral, their lips drip honey. And smoother than oil is her speech. Uh, you, get, you get the picture here? Uh, honey is desirable. So here's a woman who's desirable. There's an appeal, there's an attractiveness, cultivates a desire, and she's smooth with her words. She's not blatant, she's not arrogant, she's not defiant. She's smooth, and she's inviting, and uh, she compliments, and she doesn't nag, and she doesn't criticize. She's smooth with her lips. But, he goes on and says, he's talking to his son here. It's good to talk to sons about this stuff. But it's the last thing that men want to do is talk to their sons about this stuff. We'll talk to anybody else about it. But talking to a son is, is difficult for us because it makes us uncomfortable. But it's a very important thing to do. So he, he tells his son, here's what these gals are like. But, and it's a, it's a big one here. He says, In the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two edged sword. Uh, two edged swords, you, you can do some damage. Um, right before Thanksgiving, uh, we bought a new set of kitchen knives. The ones we'd had, we uh, got as a wedding present 28 years ago. And uh, I don't think we'd ever sharpened them. And um, they weren't real effective, and we were at Costco, and they had a real nice set there, at, you know, and a block, block knives. And the first time I pulled one of those suckers out, I just about took my whole hand off, because I wasn't used to dealing with knives that were sharp. Um, and you just look at this thing, and you start bleeding. Extremely sharp knife. Um (coughs) women that entice men to adultery, he says, are sharp as two-edged swords. In other words, they cut you they cut you in and they cut you out. Her feet go down to death. Now you gotta remember something, she looks good, dripping with honey, smooth with her words. As oil. See, that's the first impression. Alluring, desirable, attractive. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol, which was the place of death. She does not ponder the path of life. Catch this her ways are unstable and she does not know it Uh, here is a foolish woman. now it doesn't say he doesn't say to his son that you are unstable he says this kind of woman who is seductive and alluring and desirable he says she is unstable but when the choice is made to get involved with an unstable woman that woman the involvement with her will then destabilize your life When we come to know Christ when he comes into our lives and draws us to himself and we ask him to come into our lives and take away our sin and then we ask him to begin leading us as we walk through life um, we are faced with decisions now when we come to know christ what we're doing is we're building our house on the rock when we come to the lord and we ask him to take away our sin when we ask him to give us a new heart when we turn from sin and turn to him and he tells us that old things have passed away behold all things have become new that's a great thing uh... it's it's a milestone in your life it's a marker in your life uh... what's happened is uh, you've been building on sand now now you're building on the rock you've got you got a foundation under you that is significant you've got Gibraltar under you and that's gonna change everything when the storms come the storms will still come but when the storms come your house isn't moving because it's built on the rock Um, that doesn't mean however that as we walk through life now knowing Christ it doesn't mean that we're not going to have to make choices Yes, we're built on the rock, but every day in some way, shape, or form, we have to decide if we're going to do something by our choices that will destabilize the foundation that we're building upon. We face this every day as men in different ways, in different venues, in diff- different circumstances, but it happens because we're in spiritual battle. Here's the deal. If you're built on the rock, the enemy's going to come after you. He doesn't want you on the rock. He wants you back on the sand. He wants to erode your life. He wants your life to fall apart. He wants you to make bad choices. He wants you to be conned. That's what he wants. Uh, so, you know, at work or wherever you are, he'll bring along some some gal and uh, uh, Maybe you'll work with her, or maybe you're on a project with her, but uh, one that will to you be desirable and somewhat alluring. She may be Botoxed. (laughs) She may may be siliconed. Uh, She may be uh, enhanced in the mammaries. Uh, She may be uh, cellulited in terms of the uh, lower rear regions, uh, there are all kinds of things they do to make themselves uh, as desirable as honey. But when they come along, we got to be real smart, and we got to be real sharp, because everything that you're attempting to build upon can be destabilized by getting involved with someone who was unstable in their ways. Uh, She's called, in verse 3, this woman is called the adulteress. Um, This may come as news because of the culture in which we live. Let, Let me just go ahead and say this. Adultery is a bad thing. And that has pretty much been understood for a long time in this nation, but we have become enlightened. Uh, I've, I've noticed something. We, we uh, uh, back in the fall, I, I, I get a get one of these TiVo systems, and you guys know about this TiVo stuff. And uh, I found out about it because. Uh, I'd heard about it, but uh, it's, you know, it comes with one of those satellite deals. But uh, I, I was told they couldn't move them. And so then when the NFL season came along, they basically, uh, uh, basically you could get them for free and they'd give you every NFL game for four months uh, for no charge. And they start, started going out the window. Well, we got one. And the great thing about TiVo is you can tape anything you just hit the guide and if you see something coming up you just you hit one button and it tapes it might be two weeks away it'll tape if you like Jimmy Stewart movies uh, you just type in Jimmy Stewart and every Jimmy Stewart movie that comes on on hundred eighty channels is gonna be taped for you and put on a list and I mean, it, it's really quite a system um, why am I telling you about TiVo <laughs> basically TiVo has changed my life <laughs> um, it, oh, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. If you're watching a regular program, if you're watching a ball game, and the first time a commercial comes on, you got a pause button and you just hit pause. And you know, you got these commercials, what, four or five minutes of commercials? You go into the kitchen, you know, get a nice tea, whatever you want to do. Uh, you, know, you come back and it's still paused, although it's live TV. And, and then you're about four or five minutes behind. Well, now what you do is you, those commercials, you pause, you fast forward through the next set of commercials, and and you're five minutes behind now. Everything that you're watching, and no matter what it is, now when you hit a commercial, you just fast forward and you get to the next set You don't watch commercials. If you're watching a ball game, it's got um, uh, instant replay that you control. I mean, this thing is great. See, I'm telling you, this is life-changing stuff. You watch Benny Hinn, he knocks somebody over, you can watch him go down in slow motion. I just threw that in. I haven't tried that yet. But Um, when I got the system, I I had my old satellite system, I had controls and channel locks on. When I got this new system, I forgot to put the channel locks in. And so as I'm looking for Turner Classic movies or whatever, because you can tape these old John Wayne movies. It's, it's pretty neat. Uh, I'm flipping through, and, and you know what I see? I see tra- I'll tell you what I see, I see adultery. All the channel after channel after channel. Adultery, adultery, adultery. So, what are the two big programs in our culture now on television? There's Sex in the City and Desperate Housewives about adultery. They're about women who are sluts. And uh, it's just, hey, it's okay, it's cool. Hey, you know. You know what, it's not cool and it's not okay. Uh, There's something called the Ten Commandments you'll find in your Bible in Exodus chapter 20. And one of those commandments says this. It says, you shall not commit adultery. God is against adultery. Why is God against adultery? Because adultery destabilizes civilization. Adultery destabilizes families. Adultery destabilizes relationships with husbands and wives, relationships uh, that parents have with children. Adultery is a terrible, terrible thing. Yet in our culture, we laugh at it, we embrace it, we joke about it. Warren Wiersbe says this, you shall not commit adultery. The Lord spoke these words at Mount Sinai, and we call what he said the seventh commandment, found in Exodus 20, verse 14. It declares that sexual intimacy outside the bonds of marriage is wrong, even if it's between consenting adults. God doesn't recognize two people consenting to sin. doesn't reckon it's still wrong this law specifically mentions adultery but the commandment includes the sexual sins prohibited elsewhere in Scripture Leviticus 18 Romans 1 18 32, 32 first Corinthians 6 Ephesians 5 verses 1 through 14 God invented sex and has every right to tell us how to use it properly so our culture says what's wrong with premarital sex God says it's wrong. What's wrong with extramarital sex? God says it's wrong. Wearsby goes on and says, why worry about sexual sins? He says, these three chapters of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, which we're going to be into in the next few weeks, give us three reasons why we should worry if we break God's law of purity. And here they are. Number one, because sexual sin is eventually disappointing. Think about that sexual sin is eventually disappointing that when you're tempted and when it's in front of you we think it's going to be ultimately fulfilling but it's always eventually disappointing because it's outside of God's parameters Secondly, sexual sin is always gradually destructive thirdly sexual sin is always ultimately Deadly. Hmm. And he's right. Uh, He's absolutely right. Let's talk about uh, unstable men for a minute. Some of you guys grew up in homes with fathers who were unstable. You know what I love about the Lord? He's stable. If you read Genesis, Was reading Genesis the other day I was reading through uh, I try to read through the Bible every year and I was reading through the uh, flood account and when you get to Genesis 8 and after the flood occurred and by the way this is mythological as you know you shouldn't take this literally we're told well you know what we take it literally you know why we take it literally because it happened Amazing to me, the most attacked chapter in all the Bible is Genesis 1. It talks about creation. Um, the majority of Christian colleges in America do not teach Genesis 1 as a literal event that historically occurred. Not all of them, but most of them. Isn't that interesting? But if the Bible's wrong in Genesis 1, why in the reason would you, why in the world would you keep reading? I mean, if it's wrong in the very first chapter, how do you know John 3.16 is right? Or how would you know uh, Ephesians 2 is right? For by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. See, in other words, if it's wrong, right out of the blocks, how can you trust anything else that it says? Well, the fact of the matter is it isn't wrong. The fact of the matter is it's accurate. And it happened. He spoke the world. He spoke it into existence. He spoke the universe into existence, just like it says in Genesis 1. Then you get into Genesis later and you read about this guy, Noah, and you read about this flood that wasn't a regional flood, it was a worldwide flood. Genesis teaches that. Noah survives with his family. Um, Now, let me ask you something about Noah. Noah had only seen it rain once. Is that right? It never rained before the flood. Let me ask you this. How do you think Noah felt the second time in his life that he felt rain? (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever played football and uh, you blew out a knee and you had surgery and you went through rehab and you're coming back for your first day of practice? Are, Are you thinking about are you thinking about the plays? Are you, th- you, know, you There's one thing you're thinking about. What are you thinking about? Protect don't let anybody hit your knee. You see, the last time somebody hit your knee, it was disastrous. You don't want anybody touching your knee again. So, see, it takes guys a while to work themselves back in after they've been injured because you're self-protective. What was it like for Noah the second time he experienced rain? You see, the first time he experienced rain, it was catastrophic. Well, God knew that, and because God is a stable father, God gave him a promise, and God made a covenant with him. And God basically told him in Genesis 9 that when he saw not only the rain, but he saw the rainbow. There's no rainbow without rain. When he would see that bow, it was a sign that God would never do that again. In Genesis uh, 8, Noah makes a sacrifice to the Lord after they come out of the ark and the land's dry. Uh, 8.20, Noah builds an altar to the Lord. Verse 21 says, The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. The Lord said to himself, I'll never again curse the ground on account of man. And then he goes on and says, I'll never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Verse 22, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So, you know what that means? What's that? I hadn't thought of that. But you're right, no global warming. Thank you, Rush. It's good to have you here with us today. <laughs> Appreciate that insight. By the way, Michael, is it Crichton, the novelist who wrote Jurassic Park and all the other, he's just done a novel right now, and he's a pretty liberal guy that just shoots global warming to death. It's a novel that's footnoted. Nobody writes novels that are footnoted. But he's demonstrating the absolute foolishness of global warming. We, and you're right based on the word of god you know what our temperature's going to go up sometimes god, yeah but you know what it's going to remain stable because god said it would remain stable the sun's going to come up tomorrow it's going to go down tomorrow night uh here it's january well we're going to we're going to hit spring then we're going to hit summer then we're, there's some guy that writes for the new york times i don't remember his name but he wrote this little book called the rural life I picked it up one. I didn't know who this guy was, but I was in a bookstore and I read the first thing. This is pretty good. This guy's got some farm in Upper New York, and uh, he's a real good writer. And he just writes. You know, all these people in New York live in the city in the high rises. He's writing to them what it's like on his farm. And he writes about, uh, you know, you know, last night the temperature went down. I had to bring my cows in. I noticed the frost on the pumpkins and all that. You know, these city people they go crazy over this stuff. And this guy is very insightful. He he! Boy, he's got great imagery. He talks. I mean, he describes the smells of the of the uh, of the hay being mowed. He's all. I mean, he goes. You read this guy's book, and you know what's amazing to me? This guy never once mentions God. Not once. Talks about grass. Talks about flowers. Flowers booming. I mean, he's got his greenhouse. He's got seedlings. He's got. I mean, this sucker's circling, but he never lands. He worships the creation rather than the creator. He's missed the whole point. think it's one of the saddest books I've ever read. The guy's, a, the guy's an idolater. He worships grass. He worships flowers. You know? I mean, he works at the New York Times. What do you expect? The guy's a fool. And it's very sad because he talks about his grandpa who was a preacher. But he's long ago forgotten what his grandpa taught. See, what this says is that next fall, there's going to be autumn. Next winter, there's going to be winter. Ten years from now, there's see, it's going to keep going because God is stable. See, when I was in elementary school, they used to teach that the Ice Age was right around the corner. Mm-hmm. That was only the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take the Bible over the weekly reader, you know. Uh, when I was in California, I was having breakfast one morning, and uh, they just in that area where my folks live, they'd had two people die in swollen creeks. And uh, one of the waitresses lived right there and couldn't get to her home. She had to spend the night with her daughter. And she was, some of us were sitting around, we heard her talking. And then this one gal came by and you know, was bringing me more tea and, she said you just don't know it's just I mean she said it's just so uncertain it's so unsteady and you know someone was saying we're not sure you know that this tsunami this earthquake perhaps she said someone said that it's it's shaken it's absolutely shaken the equator whatever that meant and I said I said no it, that hasn't happened she said it hasn't I said no you know I said I was just reading in Psalm 104 it says God's the one who keeps the earth from tottering she said I believe that I said I do too That's why I'd like more tea. (laughs) And she said, I wasn't sure what you believed. I said, that's what I believe. She said, I believe it too. We were talking about that last night at Bible study. I said, isn't that great? We're not going anywhere. This thing's not tottering. God runs the whole show. He's stable. See, he's our father, and he's stable. Uh, Let's talk about fathers who are stable and fathers who are unstable for a minute. All right? Let's talk about fathers who are unstable. Because this is see, he's our father. He's fathering us so that we can be fathers and so that we can be grandfathers, correct? Okay. Let's talk about unstable fathers. Give me some things that unstable fathers do. What? Unstable fathers neglect, right? What they abuse. What's that? They're not reliable. So you don't know if they're coming home at night. You don't know if they're going to work in the morning because they're unstable. Will they pick you up at the game? Or will they not make, okay, somebody else? They drink too much. All right. Alcoholic fathers are unstable. What else? They contradict themselves. They flirt with other women. What else? They criticize. What else? They ignore their children. Do they, do they want to do that in their heart? Probably not. But they do. Although some of them do because they're just flat out mean. What else do unstable fathers do? They're selfish. They blame others. Okay, they get angry. They break their promises. They ignore God. Aren't you glad that God the Father is not like that. Sure you are. Let's talk about stable fathers. Tell me about stable fathers. Give me some of the characteristics of a stable father. Consistent. Trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Leaders. What? Leaders. They're leaders. Yeah. What? Loving. They're loving. They're dependable. They admit their mistakes. They admit their mistakes. <clears throat> They look after the welfare of their children. They teach. They listen. They They seek wisdom. They forgive. Have right priorities. Put their families before themselves. They what? They love their wives. They love their wife, I should say. Yeah, this isn't Utah, is it? (laughs) Quite a difference between men who are stable and men who are unstable. Right? Some of you came from homes where your fathers were unstable. Uh, Some of you have brothers who are unstable. And it's caused great havoc in, in the extended family. Uh, Some of us came from homes where our dads were stable. And, and, And the older, if your father was a stable man who loved Christ and loved your mother and loved you and disciplined you, the older you get, the more you appreciate your father. He might have died 20 years ago, but if you had a stable father, the more his value and the more you appreciate the kind of man that he was. Because he was he was stable stable men avoid women who are unstable because you see that unstable woman will destabilize your life this is a good thing to teach your sons because your sons are gonna look for a wife to marry well, what kind of woman is she? What does she believe? What are her values? Have you talked about this? You have a son that's in high school, junior high. You had a grandson. Have you talked to him about the kind of woman he ought to be looking for to marry? That woman is going to be the mother of his children. Uh, see, th- this, this is what fathers do. This is the conversations fathers should have. A man can be stable, but if he gets lured in by an unstable woman, it's going to destabilize him and everyone that's close to him. This is very practical stuff. This is down to earth, real life stuff. Now, you guys wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't want to be stable men. Of course, you want to be stable, you want to be consistent, you want to be reliable, you want to be even you don't want to be up and down you don't want to have these drastic mood swings you see because that destabilizes uh, everything james one eight says this james one eight says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways uh, we, we live in a we live in a culture that's pretty strong and because it's so pervasive, and we get all these messages, uh, you can you can be built. You're, you're building on the foundation. You're building on the rock. But we can get worn down, guys. It happens. I've been reading Paul Johnson's book, which is a great book, A History of the American People, written by a guy who lives in England. But man, is he—he's probably our greatest living historian. And uh, I got to the section on the Civil War and I got to the section on Abraham Lincoln and uh, talking about Lincoln and his wife who was, a, quite frankly, a very, very difficult woman to live with. He had a great sense of humor. She had no sense of humor. Um, uh, Lincoln said to a friend who entered the house at one point, he said, Uh, come in, my wife will be down as soon as she gets her trotting harness on. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that, but his friend thought it was funny, and and he thought it was funny. Didn't mean for it to be published, at least during his lifetime. And I don't believe that it was, but Johnson got the quote. Um, uh, There was a woman that he deeply loved and didn't marry. Uh, She she died uh, as a young woman. And uh, it broke his heart. Uh through circumstances, he met uh Mary Todd, came from a very prominent family. In fact, she turned down a man named Stephen Douglas who wanted to marry her. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that. She wouldn't marry Douglas because she didn't think he was presidential material, and she wanted to marry a man who would be president of the United States. And she married Lincoln. Uh the wedding was set up, and Lincoln uh got very ill. And uh and they felt like it was psychosomatic because he really wasn't in love with her. But you know what he did? He went ahead and married her. And later he wrote, he, uh, he said, t- said to his law partner, William Herndon, Herndon said he knew he did not love her, but he had promised to marry her. He gave his word. And he didn't feel like he could violate his word. Now, if you're a man whose word is your bond, be very careful what you commit to but in a day of adultery and in a day of easy divorce and in a day of looking for any excuse here's a guy whose word was his bond uh... they didn't have a happy marriage but he was faithful to her all the days of his life i came across a letter a few years ago uh... written by a young girl to her father Her father was a leader in their evangelical church, a man uh, who taught in the church, uh, a man who was a leader, uh, a man who was looked to. Their family was a model family in their congregation. Uh, He would take mission trips with the kids, all of this sort of thing. And he came home and announced before the family that he was leaving for another woman and he packed his bag and he left. He walked away from his family. And his sixteen-year-old daughter, uh, in her grief and in her shock, wrote this letter to her unstable father. Who had uh been allured by another woman uh, who was to him as sweet as honey, and her words were as smooth as oil. Listen to the letter of the 16 year old girl. Christian girl to her quote unquote Christian father Dear Daddy, I know that you were a really good football player. I can just picture the fans cheering for you. I would have been cheering too if I had have been there. What our family is going through now is kind of like a football game, but it's the most important game. It's the championship game, and everything rests on its outcome you're the captain of our, of our team and Tommy her fourteen-year-old brother is on the team I'm cheering for you on the sidelines mom and Ashley are the other cheerleaders we're cheering for you daddy believing and trusting that you will do your best not to let us down you've already done so much for us we have a great team we have tons of fans that love our team they respect us and look up to us they are always there for us cheering us on But daddy something terrible happens in the game when the play is run there's a terrible collision of both teams on the sideline and we all got knocked down it surprised us so badly many people were hurt all the players were slow getting up the crowd was yelling all of the cheerleaders were still down on the ground ashley has a broken leg she's just lying there still in shock she didn't understand how this could happen to her wonderful team We had just been playing such a wonderful game. I was hit in the stomach, Daddy, and I can't catch my breath to call for help. I want so badly, though, to do it. Not being able to catch my breath makes my head hurt. Pain is piercing all over my body. Mommy is hurt really bad. She was crushed by one of the players. Several of her ribs were broken. One of them punctured her lungs and almost pierced her heart. I can't tell if she's barely alive. She has taken the worst hit of all of us. When the teams went back to the huddle, something very strange happened to you, Daddy. It seems like you have hit your head really badly. I think you have a concussion. You are confused and can't see very well. You are walking around dazed. We were all watching you walk back to the huddle, Daddy, but you were going to the wrong huddle. You're walking to the wrong team. Tommy is yelling for you. He's saying, Daddy, here we are over here. All of your fans are screaming at you saying, Eric, come back to your team. You have to come back or we will lose the game. Ashley cries, Daddy, can't you hear us? We need you on our team so badly. You must not hear us because you went to the other team. They start to do better for a while. Our team doesn't know what to do without you. Tommy is trying so hard, but he still needs you to coach him on the plays. Someone from our team says, where is your dad? Doesn't he know he's on the wrong team? We don't know what to do without him. I know you're hurt, Daddy. We want to help you because we still love you so much. We want you back on our team. Please, Daddy, I am begging you. We can all help each other. That's what a family is for. It's halftime. You have to make your decision soon. You have to know you can't play for both teams. It just won't work. Which team are you going to be the captain of? The team you created that loves you more than anything or the team that confused you and makes you think that you're on the right team? I wish I could do something to help you make the right decision. I would even die to save you. I'm praying for you because I love you. Please do what it takes to come home and stay with me your daughter that's what adultery does adultery destabilizes everything that is important you know what the good news is as we draw this to a conclusion that might be the good news right there you know what the good news is Uh, Unstable men can become stable because of Christ. It's never too late for an unstable man to begin to become stable. Uh, it's, It's never too late because of the greatness of Christ and his mercy and his forgiveness to those who come to him with broken hearts and repentant spirits. Eddie was a guy... Who was living his dream? He had a mansion with grounds that were beyond description, taken care of by servants, lived behind a massive gate in one of the most beautiful sections, one of the most beautiful suburbs of Chicago. He had worked his way up from nothing. His wife and children. Uh, were chauffeured in a limousine to school or to shopping. Uh, He had more money than he had ever dreamed of making. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. Eddie was living his dream. He was one of the most successful attorneys. Eddie was in Chicago. There was just one problem with Eddie. Eddie was crooked. Eddie had one client. The client's name was Al Capone. Al Capone sent him a lot of business. Al Capone looked to Eddie. Eddie was a brilliant legal mind. Uh, Eddie did not approve of the violence and the murdering, but Eddie was in too deep. He had made too many compromises. It was because of Capone that he was able to live the lifestyle that he was enjoying. He was always three steps ahead of any other attorney, and he kept Capone out of jail. That's why he was so well paid. But there was a problem, not only was Eddie crooked, but Eddie had a little son who was growing up. And his son respected him and loved him and thought the world of his father. What nagged Eddie at night and kept him from sleeping was that he knew the day was going to come when his son was not going to respect him anymore he had been able to hide the truth from his little boy but his little boy was fast growing up and that's what caused eddie to go to the IRS and give them all the records on Al Capone he wanted his son to respect him for the rest of his life and he knew he had to do the toughest thing that he would ever do in his life he went to the IRS and gave all the records to the IRS, and as a result, Al Capone was finished. But as a result, Eddie was finished. Three months later, he was walking down a street in Chicago, and a car went by, and there was a hail of machine gun fire, and Eddie died on a bloody sidewalk in Chicago. I do a fair amount of traveling, and uh, I'll go through uh, O'Hare International Airport on a regular basis, busiest airport in the world. between. Uh, terminal one and terminal two, there's a very small monument uh, that's dedicated to Butch O'Hare. He died at 29. Butch O'Hare was the first ace of World War II. He had more kills than any other pilot in World War II. Uh, On one of his first missions, they took off from the carrier and they weren't just several miles out and he looked at his fuel gauge and he realized that someone mistakenly had not topped off his fuel gauge. Uh, In in the scurry of getting the the planes out on a mission it hadn't happened. He radioed his his squadron leader who told him to turn back and as he was turning back it had just been a minute or two and off on the horizon, he saw a squadron of Japanese fighters heading for the fleet. He was not able to contact the fleet. What he did was, by himself, Eddie O'Hare single-handedly attacked the squadron of Japanese fighters, uh, shooting until he ran out of ammunition. When he ran out of ammunition, he started trying to take the planes out by hitting them in the tail. Uh, Amazingly, the squadron turned back. He made it to the carrier and landed. It was all recorded on the gun camera. Uh, They found out he had actually shot down five Japanese planes. Amazing courage, amazing bravery. A year later, he was killed in another dogfight. Uh, He died in a torrent of machine gun fire, just as his father had died in a torrent of machine gun fire 20 years earlier on a Chicago Street. You see, Eddie O'Hare is the father of Butch O'Hare. O'Hare International is named after the great war hero of great courage, Butch O'Hare who always looked at his father as a hero because his father who was living a life of instability made a decision to become a man of stability it cost him his life but he never lost the respect of the son it's never too late guys to turn around it's never too late to do the right thing it's never too late follow Christ with your whole heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your stability and dependability. Thank you that you've never broken a promise, and one of your promises to us is that you'll never turn us away. A broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. You are a merciful God. You are a forgiving God. Lord, we all look back in our lives and we all have stories of um, times when we were not stable. We look back, Lord, and we amaze ourselves at some of the things we have done and some of the decisions we have made. Not some of us, all of us. But we thank you that you are there and that you bid us to come to you and that you do not turn us away. Thank you for that promise. I pray, Lord, that every guy will reach out to you. And in those areas, Lord, where perhaps there's a little stability, in those areas where perhaps the hill is soaked and the foundation is slipping just a little bit, may we catch it as your Spirit convicts us, and may we deal with it so that our lives will be built upon that rock and as a result we'll survive the storms.